0: normally do big birthdays and celebrations, I tend to shy away from those things, but this time I thought it would be a great chance for us all to get together and have a party just around the Christmas time or just afterwards, so I thought it would be really great to do that. So if you would honour me with your presence and honour each other with your presence, we can have a great, uh, great time together on that evening, I'm sure, and it should be a good laugh and good fun, and I'd like you to celebrate that with me. Thank you very much, and look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. Well, I am mindful that this afternoon a certain sporting event is taking place not a long way from here. In fact, 381 meters the last time I measured it, and oh, thereabouts, as one does, of course, Joy, you know. <laughs> um, I, I paced it out from door to door. It's 380 meters from our front door to Newcastle's front door. So we want to be over reasonably soon. And when we finished, can I just point out to you that um, there will be a lot of excited people arriving. That's the police. And um, there'll be a lot of other excited people arriving as well. So it's probably in your own interest to negotiate your way out of town in the most trouble-free manner you can. The more people that arrive, the more difficult it may be to move your cars around. And people do tend to pressurize our car park and think they have some right to it and take over. So uh, I just, just... caution you with that, to watch out for people who trying to pull into your space and so on and so forth. So at the end of the meeting, please look after yourselves and your cars and make sure you get a swift getaway. If not, you could be here for a long time this afternoon. Maybe you want to stay and pray for the match. I don't know. After the Tottenham Hotspur result, they need it. Right. Enough of such things. That's the practical things. Well, to look towards Christmas, which is on Thursday. That's good. Now I've lost a lot of people. Sorry? it's, it's like said it's 11 o'clock here, we're going to have a Christmas meeting for about three-quarters of an hour, just a simple time to draw aside from all of that other amazing stuff, food and materialism and presents and so on, and just give some time in the day to remember God and to worship Him and thank God for Christ. And it's on that subject that I want to speak today to prepare us for Christmas. So I have a, a verse of the Bible here which I think really sums up well what Christmas is about and it'll be appearing in some version or other on the screen. I'm going to read it in three different English versions to start off with to give us the sense of what is going on here. So let's have that up on the screen, please, uh, Dave. Here we are. So, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I won't try to read it in the Spanish in public, but you can see it there in Spanish as well. And I'd like to read this in two more English versions. You can leave that one up there, Dave, but I'm going to read it in two more English versions. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. Here's another version. God was in Christ. He was working through Christ to bring the whole world back to Himself. God no longer held men's sins against them. And He gave us the work of telling and showing men this. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. It's alive, living, active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces right to our very innermost being, the Bible says. It gets right to the center of our being. And Lord, we pray the Word will do that for us today. We pray today that we'll have a revelation afresh of the awesomeness and the wonder of Christmas and Christ coming into the world. Father, speak to our hearts today, we pray. And if there's anyone here that doesn't yet know Jesus... Lord, I pray this morning you'll speak to their hearts in a very special way and show them how Jesus can be their Lord and Savior, their friend, their help, their comforter, their strength in life. Amen. Well, I want to look at three simple phrases from this passage and try and unpack them a little bit to understand what it means. And the first one is this. God was in Christ. God was in Christ. Now, there is a sense in which God is in all of us, in as much as we're all made in God's image. Take a look at the person next to you and say to these words to them, you're simply divine. Yes, some of the husbands have got the right idea. There's a little peck going on over here. That was what I intended for married couples, but um, somehow it's not quite worked with some of you. Let's try once more. You're... You're simply divine. Okay. Now, there is very much this sense that all of us are made in the image of God and we reflect God's image in our character and nature, even in the way we look, but that's another sermon. But when the Bible comes along and says, God was in Christ, there is something more than The general amount of God that there is in each person in this world. There's something different, something special here. It's a bit like this. Have you ever seen anybody with a new baby, and the minute you see the baby, you think these thoughts. They definitely gave you the right baby in hospital. You know, sometimes there's these big scandals in the news where the hospital gives the wrong baby to the mum, to the parents. They mix a couple of them up. And you think, oh, wow, that's a terrible thing to happen. And there's all the untangling. But some people, you see their babies, and immediately you think, yes, that's definitely the right baby. I'm thinking, for example, of Anna Rose recently, who definitely looks like a vidrine to me, Jared. She she definitely got your looks about her. You've been given the right baby there. We're quite sure of that. Any amends to that one? Have you seen the baby? Yes. And... When you see the parents' features in the baby, that's kind of awesome. Yesterday, we were out uh, taking photographs of our family together. We thought, well, we'll get this chance for everybody to be together and thank God for Richard's wife, our daughter in law, Manuela, to be around. And so we can do this whole family photograph thing. And Karis organized a kind of photo shoot for us. And Noah was there as well. He was a bit sleepy at first, but we eventually got him to wake up and uh, take part in all of this. And just at odd moments, I caught some looks in his face. I thought, gosh, that really reminds me of my mum or some other member of my family or even myself. And when you see yourself in them, it's a kind of an eerie feeling. You think, this has gone through Richard, from me, through Richard to him. And there it is. He still manages to, to... to pull the same faces that i pull and that's more than just a passing resemblance the genetic material and code that was in me has somehow gone to richard has somehow gone to him and when the bible says god was in christ this is what he's talking this is what the bible is saying it's saying that jesus was not just another ordinary guy or even another special guy who was somehow a great Bible teacher, it's saying that God's genetic code, if you can talk about God in that way, uh, is in Jesus. The very thing that makes God God and who he is is all wrapped up into a tiny bundle called a baby and given the name Jesus. This is outstanding. It's the only time it's ever happened in human history. It's the only time the Bible says that someone has been like this. The Bible calls him unique, the only one like this. God poured himself into this baby. And as the eternal son of God, he left heaven and came to us as a man. And that's all summed up in that phrase, God was in Christ. And the Bible says that about nobody else in that way. So we're starting with somebody really different and really amazing here. That's the first phrase. God was in Christ. The second phrase is this, reconciling the world to himself. Now, another version that I read out put it like this. No longer counting men's sins against them. Sorry, restoring the world to himself. Working through Christ to bring the whole world back to himself. Now, what does that mean? I will never forget one of the earliest times I ever went to a proper restaurant. I mean I kind of grew up in the end of town where you didn 't go to restaurants that 's what things that, that sort of thing people did in the posh end of town where Sally came from. but in the kind of not so posh end of town where i 'm from, in the gagineros if you speak that language that that's you know that's we didn 't go do restaurants I mean we just didn 't and so I remember. The very first time I was invited to a restaurant, a guy in the church said to me, Clive, I'd like to take you to a restaurant I know, and I want to take you to dinner there, and I want to pay for you. Well, I thought, this is amazing. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. So the day comes, and I meet this guy at the restaurant. And he says to me, this restaurant has got excellent food. It's really, really good. And here's something I've discovered. He said, at lunchtimes, the menu is so cheap. They put the price up about three times at night. But if you get the set menu, it's really, really good value and it's excellent food. So, well, okay, we'll do that then. So we go into the restaurant, we sit down at the table. I I don't know what I'm doing. There's all these knives and forks and I don't know which one to pick up or anything. And and I just sit with my hands in my lap and, and so he says to the waiter, he calls the waiter over and then the problem started because the waiter was not from England and he'd been recruited before he'd learned English properly. So his English wasn't very good. So that my friend uh, says to him, well now, can we have such and such and such on the lunchtime menu today? And he said, yes. Well, you can have it. So there was a sort of a discussion between them. So off we go with the menu. Well, he starts ordering this food. And he says, you really must try this and you really must try that. Now, in today's money, he was expecting to spend about £15 a head, maybe 20 So he was looking at that kind of money. So... We have this meal, and I, I'm enjoying this. I mean, you know, I, I've never had a meal like this before, so, so he's ordering all these things. And then, um, and then he said something strange to me. When, when the meal was finished, he said, um, he said, I'm still a bit hungry after that. You know, there are some restaurants you go to, you pay to get starved, don't you? You know, they, they make the food all look really nice on the plate, all delicate and lovely. But um, really, you just want to go to McDonald's afterwards because you haven't had enough to eat. Well, he was one of those guys. So after the meal, he said, um, he said, I'm still a bit hungry. You don't mind if I eat my sandwiches, do you? I said, what? He said, well, I have sandwiches every day for work. My mum my makes me sandwiches, so I brought them with me. And he got them out on the table, and he started to eat these sandwiches in a kind of nice, smart restaurant a plastic box I was so embarrassed well then he said then he then he said do you know such and such and 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 so, so I start telling him yeah, well I know and this is what happened to us well he said that's so funny and he starts to laugh and he has these one of these loud laughs that draws attention to himself and not only that but he picked up the spoon and he started banging the table as he was laughing so we finished the meal he's eating sandwiches and he's banging the table with a spoon and all the other guests and the, the, the waiters and the, the, kind of the, the, the guy in charge there, the, the maitre d', he's, they're all sort of looking across our table. And sort of, who are these strange people lowering the tone of our nice establishment in here? And I felt so embarrassed. I thought, I'm sure you're not supposed to do this in a restaurant. I've never been to one before, but it doesn't seem the right thing to eat your sandwiches and bang the table with a spoon and really laugh in a way that draws attention to yourself. So, anyway... In the middle of all this laughing, he stops banging. With him. He says, waiter, and he's, he's, he's really loosened up by now. We hadn't had anything to drink or anything, but he's just loosened up And I said, waiter, come here, I want the bill. I need, to go. I need to get back to work. Well, the guy brings the bill, and because my friend was sort of turned around at the time, he puts the bill on my plate. So I sort of open it and have a look. And so my friend says to me, he says, well, oh, he said, that's mine to spend. He said, how much is it? I told him, and the shock came onto his face. All that laughter all that making fun suddenly. You're joking. That was the first words he said. You're joking. And then this fear came over him. I said, no, I'm not. Well, how much did you think it would be? So well I thought it would be about 20 quid each. I said, Well, it's about 135. He said, What? What? He said, I don't have that much money on me. And he looked in his wallet and all he had was about, you know, just enough to cover the bills, maybe about well, what he thought about about 45, 50 quid. So he's got nowhere near enough money to cover the bill. And we've already made a complete um, embarrassment of ourselves in this restaurant. And we've got noticed, which is never a good thing in a restaurant, really. So he's looking at me, I don't have enough money to pay. What are we going to do? What would you do in that circumstance? (laughs) Run? I've seen films of this kind of thing happening where people have to wash up in the kitchens and work their passage out for the whole week. I had visions of being chained to the sink for a week until we'd washed up enough dishes and cleaned up enough plates before we could leave. So I said to him, well, you better give me the bill and I better pay them. And I had enough money on me to pay. and I paid the bill. Mind you, I didn't pet straight away. I let him sweat for it a little bit first. I thought, well, I just want to see what he makes of this. And so for, for several minutes, he's sitting there. And I said, the waiter's coming back. And uh, the waiter's starting to walk towards our table. And he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And as the waiter gets to our table, he says, he said, oh, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. But I said, he's sorry because I'm going to pay the bill. And I handed over the money to pay the bill. That was my first experience of going to a restaurant where somebody invited me out. Now, it's a bit like that when it comes to our experience of life. What happens is we sit down at the table of life with God and we start running up a bill with him and we think we can pay. We think that life is ours we can live it any old way we want to and God will pick up the bill at the end. Or we can pay, rather. We can pay and it will all be fine. I can do this in life. I can afford this in life. I can get away with this in life. It's okay. And so we do those kind of things. But later we find the bill's too big. We found the thing we did which we thought we could get away with doesn't work. And I've seen people do this. I've seen people get themselves into trouble in life, and they think they can get their way out of it, but then they can't. Maybe their health collapses. Maybe both the girls that the guy is going out with find out at the same time. And then his life is a complete misery and he deserves it. Or something even worse and much more serious happens. A marriage fails or an employment fails. We do things in life and we laugh and we bang on the table and we eat our sandwiches and we think this is all going to be okay at the end. I can cover this. But when the bill comes in, the spiritual bill, the life bill, oh! I can't cover this. What am I going to do? And there's a whole world like that. And the Bible says, that's what it's like with God and us. He sits down at the table with us. We run up the bill. And then somehow there's a problem to sort out. And right at the last minute, the Bible says, right at, just at the right time while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Just at the right time, God stepped in and paid our bill for us. And through that, he's able to reconcile the world with himself and ourselves with the world, with, uh, God, with, God with the world. He's, God's able to bring us back to having a good relationship with him. Do you know, when I paid that bill, the guy never once said, Oh, I'll pay you back next week, or Sorry about that. He carried on eating the sandwiches and carried on laughing and banging the table with the spoon. I was kind of hoping he'd say, thanks for paying the bill. You didn't have to do that, but I'm sure glad you did, or we'd we'd be in kind of trouble here. And these are the kind of challenges that God faces with the human race. How does he get us back to himself in such a way that we appreciate it and we're really glad about it? And we know that we ran up a bill that was far too big, but he stepped in and paid for us. So the Bible says this, it says, Not counting their trespasses against them. Or in another version, no longer counting men's sins against them. No longer holding men's sins against them. That is a fantastic phrase in the Bible. Did you know that God is no longer counting your bill against you? Did you know that God is no longer holding men's sins against them? Well, that's a good thing to say, but what does it mean by sin? I'd like you to talk to your neighbor for a moment and just to, what do you think a sin is? Have a discussion with your neighbor for, for, for a minute each. What's a sin? You don't have to confess your own sins, but just, just talk about in general. What, what is a sin? Some of you have gone very quiet here, like I'm asking you to confess or something. We're not after that. Oh, well, you can do if you want to, but. Come on, let's have some ideas then. What's a sin? Leaving God out. Sorry? Unrighteousness. That's a good Bible word. Might need to unpack that. Any other word? What's, what's a sin? Anything that's against God. Anything else? Sorry? Not having, not having the fear of the Lord. Not putting God first and respecting revering Him. In Yeah, anything else? Jesus not being on the throne in your life. Jesus not being the boss. Somebody else, yourself being the boss. Mary? Missing the mark. Missing the mark. Oh, that's a good Bible. Word. We're going to get to that in a second. That's excellent. Selfishness. Doing something wrong in God's eyes? Not being perfect? Well, that gets all of us, doesn't it? Straight away. Thank you, Mick. Happy Christmas to you too. You've <laughs> nailed us. That's great. I mean, that's true. Let me just uh, have to find something else on my iPad here. Um, sin is one of those things that people tend to look at differently in different generations. So... In previous generations, if you ask people what a sin is, they'll tend to say something that's personal about your own life, like living immorally or being selfish. And we heard some of those things coming out. In more modern times in this part of the world, people will say, that's, that's not so important. It's big things like a war or people starving in the world or poor people living on the streets at Christmas. And they'll point out those things or inequality in society. And they'll point out... The big things and say the small things, the personal things, that's not so much a sin. That's not what's so important. It's more the big things. So talk to your neighbor again. Which one do you think is the most important in God's eyes? The big things or the personal things? The society-wide things or the things that uh, relate to us as individuals? Now, come to a clear conclusion, because we're going to have a vote in a moment. We're going to see which is which. Right, how many of us think the more important kind of sin is personal sin? Things that relate to us, things like unholy, okay, hands down. How many think the more important kind of sin is the society-wide things, like people starving in the world and, and so on? Hands up? Few of you here? Some of you haven't put your hands up. Who hasn't put their hand up and why? We, Adam thinks they're both the same. Who thinks they're both the same? Hands up. Okay, that's, that's, that's a fair few of us. Okay, right. well you're right of course, it was a trick question. You, must, you should have known me by now that I would ask you a trick question at Christmas to try and, try and fool you. They're both important. And you'll notice a trend towards emphasizing one and missing out the other. Now, These days in our society, we're on the the, the trend of emphasizing the big worldwide stuff and missing out the other. The personal holiness stuff. So people will say things like, it doesn't matter what your morals are. It doesn't matter if you tell a few lies or you sleep with somebody before marriage or you rip a bit of money off from the boss. That's not the real problem with the world. The real problem with the world is the war that's going on in such and such a part of the world and we should stop that. Well, it's true the war does matter and it's terrible. But it's also true that our personal lives really matter as well. And it's all sin. So when the Bible describes the word sin, it uses a range of words, starting with Mary's word there, to miss the mark, you fire your... your, Your arrow at the target, it misses. It goes through things like not tying your boat up properly. And when you come back to find your boat, it's drifted off down the river. That's another word for sin. There's one which means you can't be bothered to find out what God really wants. And then you say, I didn't know. It's a hard job to tell the policeman that when he's got you for speeding. There's another one which means to put your fingers in your ears and say, I just don't want to hear. There's another one which says um, uh, to undervalue the impact of what you're doing and say, it doesn't really matter. There's another word which means to step over a line. And there's another word to mean, I just don't care. I'll just do what I like. That all comes within this idea of what sin is. Now, when you look on the news this Christmas, you'll see plenty of sin in plenty of parts of the world. You'll see terrible things happening out there, the big picture. And if you know anybody personally, if you know yourself, you may witness sin happening on a small scale as well, but no less important and no less terrible than God's eyes. And this is what the Bible says. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. That's what Christmas is about. God is not counting our sins against us. I hope that's good news for you. Because it's good news for me. Now, I remember this most powerfully when I visited the place where the 9-11 attack took place in America. And I went to ground zero with Sally. And at that point, they've rebuilt it all now. But at that point, it was just a gigantic hole in the ground. And they were still taking out all the old foundations that had collapsed. And there was just fence around the outside. And on the outside were stapled these boards with all the people's names that died there. And this was the verse that came to me. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. The world is full of the most incredibly awful things that people do against each other and against God. And the Bible says God is not counting that sin against any of us. Even big things like that, massive things like that, do you know God does not want to count that sin against those guys that did that. Can you believe that? Nearly 3,000 people killed there and God does not want to count that against them. And there are other things going on in other parts of the world that are equally terrible We're not just singling out one nation. It was just what God happened to say to me at the time. God is not counting our sins against us. And as I said, sin can be something very big like that. It can be something very small. But it's no less important in our lives. And really, I'm trying to look ahead here to the end of the year because I felt in my own heart God showing me various things for the end of this year and the beginning of next year. I want to invite you to take a look back at the 2014 for a moment in your own life. Is there anything you want to leave behind in 2014? I mean, I've had some great things this year. Lots of good things have happened. It's been a great year. But there are still some things I'd like to leave behind. Is that true for anybody else here? Does anybody want to leave behind something? Think, God, I want to go forward into a new year without that or changed in that. Because God wants you to go forward like that as well. And he's working with us on our behalf. God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us. And if there's stuff we need to leave behind this year, then there's stuff we can leave behind. Because through Christ, it can all be left at the cross. Now, everybody's heard the saying that behind every good man is a good woman. I'd like to change that a little bit because I think that's not quite the full picture. I think behind every good man is two good women, his wife and his mother. Amen? Now, mem? now you, I want to talk to you about a good man here called John Wesley. And John Wesley, as we know, is a tremendous preacher, a tremendous man of faith, a tremendous man of God. And behind him was his, was his mother, Susanna Wesley, who was a remarkable and impressive woman in her own right. Um, and when he was growing up, his mother spoke to him about sin, and she told him what sin was for him. And this is what he grew up with. Now, I'm going to quote it to you in a minute, but it's in such old English, it's like reading Shakespeare or Chaucer or something like that. It's so out of date, it's sort of hard to understand. So I've kind of rewritten it and brought it up to date, but I hope you'll understand that the spirit of Susanna Wesley is still in the translation. This is what she said to him. John, if you want to know if something that seems pleasurable in life, if it's good or not in God's eyes, then take this simple rule. Whatever weakens your mind to think in a godly way, whatever starts to take away the sensitivity of your conscience, whatever begins to cloud over the presence of God in your life, and whatever even just starts to take away your joy and thrill at the desire for spiritual things, you can be sure that to you is sin. Let me read that to you again. John, if you want to know if something you think is pleasurable in life is good or not in God's eyes, then take this simple rule. Whatever weakens your mind to think in a godly way, whatever starts to take away the sensitivity of your conscience, whatever begins to cloud over the presence of God in your life, and whatever even just starts to take away your joy and thrill and your desire for spiritual things, you can be sure that to you is sin. Suddenly my life's just got a whole lot more sinful. How's yours? Because what she's saying here is this. Even stuff that looks neutral... If it takes you away from God, if, if you're thrilled in the things of God, if your desire for the presence of God, if your experience of the presence of God is affected by those things, if you start thinking in an ungodly way, that, that to you, John, is sin. No wonder this man grew up to lead a great revival. Can you see what happened in his life there? And I feel this year, God wants us to leave stuff behind in 2014. Amen. Because God is not counting any of that stuff against us. Big or little, personal or worldwide, he's not counting against the human race, and he's not counting it against us. So I'm going to pray in a moment. Before I do, I just want to tell you one story. There was an American football coach who started to raise up a great young team. And they were, these guys were in about their early 20s, 21, 22, 23, 24, and they were coming together as a really top-rate team, and he didn't want to lose them. He could see that these guys had the potential to really make it big in American football. And so one day he decided, in order to keep his team, he'd need to teach them a lesson. It's a true story. He actually did this. And he, got, he, he went out into the country, and he, he found a couple of good old boys, farming boys from the countryside. And he said, guys, I want you to do a a little task for me. And he paid them some money. And so they they did what he asked. And a couple of days later, he has the team together to coach them. And they're all sitting there in their gear with all their shoulder pads on. He's giving them some pep talk after their training. And at that moment, these two good old boys walk into the training session. They just burst in, and they start screaming. And they they get this cloth bag, and out of this bag, they pull out a rattlesnake and they throw the rattlesnake into the middle of the briefing. You have never heard grown men scream like girls so much. Ah! And suddenly, within seconds, muscle and weight... I mean, we're talking about hundreds of pounds of weight here on these men, if you're an American measurement, stones if you're English, kilograms if you're European. Anyway, these heavy, big-built guys, they all... Pile out of every entrance and every window and every door you could imagine. They scream and they leave the room. And it it made their football look pretty tame by comparison. They were gone in seconds. And all that was left in the room was this rattler just hissing around in the middle of the floor and these two good old boys. So the coach says, "Okay, boys, you can take him back now. And they just grab this snake, stuff it in the bag, and off they go, earn their money. Well, then the coach calls all the team back in. And he says to them... You understand now, I set this up, and they're all really frightened. They're really angry with him. Why did you do that to us? That was dangerous. You could have got us killed. He said, Guys, I want you to understand something here. You're standing at the beginning of your career as as footballers, and you could be a great team together. And we're going to go do big things. The only thing that can ruin it is what's out there. He said, You can be invited to parties where there is stuff there that shouldn't be there. You can be invited to go to places where there are people there who will compromise your life and ruin you. You can get yourself entangled in situations that can destroy your life. And he said, the problem is this. He said, it's the same as this rattlesnake. He said, both of it will kill you. And he was talking about sin. He was a Christian coach. He said, guys, you can get your life into sin, and it will kill you as sure as that rattlesnake does. He said, do you know what the problem I have with you guys is this? He said, if I throw a rattlesnake into the room, you'll scream and you'll run for your lives. But if I throw sin into the middle of the room, you'll just sit there and say, well, I can handle it. It'll be all right. That's the difference. He said, I want you to run from sin like you did from that rattlesnake. And if you do, you will preserve your life. You'll preserve your playing career. You'll preserve this team and you'll go on to great things. But if you don't, then... It will kill you as sure as that rattler would kill you if you stayed in the room and it bit you. Wow. Awesome lesson in life. This is the year to leave things behind. And I trust over the, the new Year period we'll have a bit of extra meeting maybe that we can organize for us next week, where well, we can really figuratively do that if we want to, and just say, "God, I'm going forward into 2015. Reconcile to you because I know you're not counting my sin against me. and I don't want to be tangled up with anything anymore that does anything to me like John Wesley's mother taught him. Next year we want to look forward to a really fascinating, interesting year, and more of that next week and the week after. But this is preparation for that. So, can we pray? I'm going to invite you to stand if you want to, but not yet. I want to pray